Hello, I'm Pastor Daniel Fluke from St. Peter Lutheran Church in Green, Iowa, and today is Monday, Thursday, April 14th. Thank you for joining me today for the scripture and message. For our Monday, Thursday service in person at church tonight, there will be three scripture readings and three sort of mini sermons. So I will share all of that with you in this video as well, all three readings and three sermon pieces. Our first reading tonight is the Passover story, a reflection on remembering God's salvation. This is from Exodus chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall mark for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the tenth of this month, they are to take a lamb for each family, a lamb for each household. If a household is too small for a whole lamb, it shall join its closest neighbor in obtaining one. The lamb shall be divided in proportion to the number of people who eat of it. This is how you shall eat it. Your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it hurriedly. It is the Passover of the Lord. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals. On all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord." The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be a day of remembrance for you. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you shall observe it as a perpetual ordinance. Here ends the first reading. Somebody once described a church as a book club, that only ever reads one book. And there's some truth to that, right? As Christians and as church, everything we do revolves around a particular story, the story told in the Bible, the story of God's work, God's faithfulness to God's creation, a story still being written, a story that you and I are part of. Every time we gather as church, we read together from scripture. We seek to understand more of God's story and more of our place in it. Sometimes we hear the story through readings. Often we tell the story through songs and music. Sometimes we encounter the story and its author through tangible things like water, bread, and wine. And so this week, as we approach Easter during Holy Week, we return yet again to the story of God's salvation, the story where God rescues and redeems God's people. The center of Monday Thursday is the Last Supper, the story of Jesus giving himself away in bread and wine for us. When Jesus and his 12 disciples gathered that night in an upper room for his Last Supper, the First Communion celebration, they were not just having a meal together. They were gathering to celebrate the Passover. They were remembering what God had done for their ancestors, remembering God's faithfulness in the past. They were remembering the story of salvation, the way God rescued their ancestors, bringing them out of slavery in Egypt and into the freedom of the promised land. Knowing that God has been faithful and even in the worst of times in the past equips us today to trust God in our own times of trouble. In that Passover story, God tells the Israelites that each family is to sacrifice a lamb and put its blood on the door so that on the night when the firstborn sons of their Egyptian captors are killed, the angel of death will see the blood 
and pass over their house. This is such an important event for God's people that they are to mark time from when it happens. It will be the first month of the year for you, they're told. And every year, they are to remember what happened, to eat that Passover meal and share the story of how God protected them, how God spared them from death. This is part of our story, too, as Christians, because we, too, have been spared from death. As we explain, as I explained to the First Communion students a few weeks ago, Jesus is the Lamb of God who has sacrificed himself for us to give us life. We don't need to sacrifice a lamb anymore. Jesus, the Lamb of God, has given himself for us. When Jesus and his disciples gathered to remember the Passover story, Jesus announced to them that what had been just bread and wine would now, when received in faith, be his own body and blood. We as Christians, as God's people, share his body and blood in remembrance of God's faithfulness, in remembrance of the cross. And when we eat this meal, Jesus promises to show up, promises to be present with us in and through and under the bread and the wine. Tonight, throughout this Holy Week, and as often as we gather, remember, this is your story too. Living as a Christian is about finding your place in God's story, recognizing that God's love is for you, that it's not something abstract or outdated, but that God's love is given and shed for you. It's your sins that are forgiven. The Lamb of God has been poured out for you. God's salvation is for you. This Holy Week, remember your story. Amen. A reading from John chapter 13. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, You do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my head and my hands. Jesus said to him, one who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. For this reason he said, Not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet, had put on his robe, and had returned to the table, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. 
Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him at once. Little children, I say to you, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Here ends the reading. The second sermon moment is remembering God's salvation. God's salvation is a gift, not something you can earn. If there's one thing that I want you to remember long after my time here at St. Peter Lutheran Church is over, it's that Jesus' love is a gift, God's grace freely given for you, for me, and for the world. God loves you because God loves you, and there is nothing you can do to deserve it. At this, in this reading, at the Last Supper gathered with his disciples, Jesus demonstrates for us how we respond to that gift of love. As Jesus' followers, we respond to God's salvation by joining Jesus in serving, in washing feet. Remember, washing feet at the time was the job of a servant. It's something nobody wants to do, but in a world where you wear sandals and walk on dirty, dusty roads, it has to be done. So the lowest ranking person in the room gets to do it. Except, of course, when Jesus is around. Because at this meal, Jesus himself gets up takes off his robe, puts on a towel, and he starts washing his students' feet, his followers, his disciples. That is not what is supposed to happen. The teacher never washes the students' feet. And if you look at Peter's reaction, he actually gets really upset at this idea. He does not want to see Jesus embarrass himself. But by washing the disciples' feet, Jesus shows us how we as Christians are supposed to live. Those who are followers of Jesus are to love one another. We don't often literally wash other people's feet. That's not a cultural thing that we do today, although it can be a profound experience if you do it. But we do seek to follow Jesus' command. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. Our job as Christians is to find ways to love one another to love others, and not just in easy situations where there's tax benefits or memorial plaques at stake, but by giving of ourselves, using our time, our gifts, humbling ourselves to serve others. This is a call to share the kind of love that startles and surprises, to love in situations where no one expects it, a generous, undeserved love that by the world's logic makes no sense at all. Jesus washes the feet of the one he knows is going to betray him. We are called to love those who don't think they deserve love, to serve those who won't serve us back, because that's what Jesus does for us. Washing the feet of another person, when you do it literally, means recognizing them as someone worthy of our service. It means looking at our enemies or the people we despise and seeing even them as children of God, people Jesus considered worthy not only of having their feet washed, 
but is worth dying for. When we claim to be members of Christ's body, this is the task we claim. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Our third and final reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and the sermon moment is reunited in God's salvation. Paul writes, Now in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. Indeed, there have to be factions among you. For only so will it become clear who among you are genuine. When you come together, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper. For when the time comes to eat, each of you goes ahead with his own supper, and one goes hungry and another becomes drunk. What? Do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I commend you? In this matter, I do not commend you. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that I that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Here ends the reading. I think this reading from Paul points to the fact that we humans have an amazing ability to mess stuff up, don't we? Jesus takes a meal about remembering God's faithfulness, remembering what God has done for us. He adds the promise that he himself will be present in it, He demonstrates what love looks like in service, and we find ways to mess it up. In that first century church in Corinth, the people have heard the instruction from Jesus to share a meal together in memory of him, and some of them have forgotten the part about sharing together and loving one another, and they've gotten stuck on just the meal part. The rich in their group have plenty of food and drink to enjoy, and the poorer members don't get anything. That might be how the world handles food, where those of us who are rich enjoy the plenty that we have, and others, our sisters and brothers in Christ, survive on tiny rations. But that is not what Christ's table is like. That's something we need to repent of and work to fix, not something we ought to carry into worship. The Lord's Supper, this communion feast, is intended to be a glimpse of heaven, a foretaste of the feast to come in God's kingdom, a meal where all are welcomed by Jesus, our host. The Corinthians have turned this sacrament, this beautiful, sacred gift, into just another worldly meal. Sometimes I think that today we've maybe gone too far the other way. It can be hard to see communion as a meal we do together when we only have a little sip of wine and a tiny piece of bread. Maybe sometimes the way we celebrate communion should look a little less like something prepackaged, a minuscule amount, and a little more like a real community meal around a table. 
But nevertheless, as Paul shares with the Corinthian church the words of institution, the story of how Jesus began the central ritual of our faith, he tells them that although their words might recall the story of Jesus' death, their actions miss the point of why Jesus died. The cross changes things. The communion table is not a place for division. The cross breaks down the barriers, the boundaries we build up. In the community of faith, we don't have to agree on everything. Sports teams, politics, worship styles. We don't have to all be the same. But around the table, we are united into Christ's body. We are fed by Jesus and we become what we eat, the body of Christ. The cross calls everyone who sees it, to follow the model of Jesus, the one who humbled himself, who gave up his very life for others. So Paul calls on the Corinthians and on us to repent, to behave differently, to behave as a church, the community of love. Being the body of Christ means including everyone as children of God, working for reconciliation The kingdom of God is not divided into haves and have-nots, into the rich and the poor. Jesus did not die so that rich people, and that includes us living in the wealthiest country in the world, so that we could have yet another opportunity to gorge on a fancy dinner. No, Jesus died for the reconciliation of the world. Whenever we gather around God's kingdom, whenever we gather around Christ's table, May the holy meal we taste truly be food for us to fuel our service to the world in Jesus' name. May we repent of our own selfishness and greed and instead seek reconciliation and peace with our neighbors. May this living bread from heaven unite us in God's salvation. Amen. I won't have a video for tomorrow's Good Friday service, but if you're around, I hope you'll come join us at 6.15 here at church. Otherwise, I will have an Easter sermon video on Sunday, and I hope you're able to take some time this weekend to reflect on God's love revealed on the cross where Jesus laid down his life for us. Go in peace.